Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning again. Uh, for those who are wondering, Pastor, De- Pastor Duane did not get younger. Um, I'm Pastor Daniel. Pastor Duane is up in Rockford with uh, Miss Jeannie, and they are speaking up there. And I get the honor of sharing with you guys this morning. Um, I'm Daniel Vanderklok. I've been on staff here for a long time. Uh, I've got an amazing wife, four kids. And this morning, I have a title for you. Are you ready for this? Why? You know, it's, it's deep, it's long, and maybe it's because I have a two-year-old who has learned that word. Um, and, it, and it can be quite interesting as a two-year-old will just ask why, 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 why about everything and actually makes you think with some of the things after the like third or fourth why. It gets interesting, complicated. But I'm actually not speaking so much of the two-year-old why as I am the why that gets asked during pain, during tragedy, during disaster. Because there's just something in us that when things go wrong, when things get get ugly, we ask, why? Why is this happening? Why is it me? Why is it them? Why isn't it me? And there's so many whys that get asked. I've, I've had some tragedy in my life. I've had some pain here and there, but I have walked with people in the worst of life. I have walked with people who've been through things I wouldn't wish on an enemy. I've sat with them, I've cried with them, I've given Kleenexes to them, but I've been there, and as, as we hear this question, I, I begin to wonder, begin to ask the why, going, okay, what is the why? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm gonna, as I looked, I think all of it can be boiled down to one of three things. Um, a little bit, of, sometimes it's a combination of the three, but I think everything can, can be taken back to these three. So you ready for point number one? Point number one is pretty simple. I think this isn't going to be a shocker, but point number one, sometimes we experience pain, tragedy, and grief because of our own choices. Um, Our poor choices, sometimes these are straight up stupid choices. Those are pretty easy to identify. Um, As soon as you get done, you're like, "Mm, that was stupid. But sometimes these choices aren't necessarily stupid so much as they are great decisions that happen to overlook an important detail or fails at something that was a, a good idea. Uh, my brother used to lay carpet, and one day he called me up. He's like, hey, can you come help me on a job? I'll pay you. I'm like, oh, I could use some money, so let's do this. Um, if you ever seen carpet laid, laying carpet upstairs, I say, it's not much, <laughs> I say it's not much work because he did all the hard, or the complicated work, I just did the grunt work. Um, but we did it in a basement, and laying carpet in a basement is not fun because there's these tack strips. Now they're about an inch wide or inch wide and then uh, three feet long. And they're just filled with all of these nails sticking up to hook the edge of the carpet. And then these little concrete nails to shoot them into the concrete, except the concrete's hard. So first you have to pre-drill it and then you gotta hold the tack strip really still. And it takes a lot of force to put that concrete nail into it. And if you let it wiggle, it cracks the concrete instead of um, fixing to the concrete. So you got to hold it really tight. So I'd get in there and I, I get it set, get it pre-drilled, and then I get in there and I'm like, tap, tap, tap. Some of you guys know where this is going. Um, you have to hold it really close to not get on those tacks and not get stabbed. I got to keep it from wiggling and I got to hit it really hard. Bam, 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 wham! Oh, I nailed my thumb. How many of you guys have ever nailed your thumb with a hammer? 
Yeah, so I nailed my thumb, but my thumb is sitting at the edge of the tack strip, and so it didn't just like smash it, it actually split my thumb open on the other side as it hit the corner of the tack strip. And we're on a, a job site, so it's not like I've got this massive, beautiful first aid kit, which probably would have been a good idea. Um, so you just like, oh, there's paper towel or toilet paper or something, and you wrap it up, and then you find duct tape, and you're like, all right, there's that redneck bandage there, and uh, go back at it. By the time that job was over, I had three fingers that were just wrapped in duct tape. <laughs> but we got the job done. And, and that one really wasn't a, so much of a, a stupid choice or a poor choice. It was more of a, a fail at a, at a good thing. But that fail ended up being what caused my, my hurt and my pain, though that's not the greatest tragedy in life. Um, sometimes it's these things that we think and we have this great idea, but we don't think it quite through all the way. Um, so a while back, just 20, 20 years or so, uh, my mom, my mom loves trees and she doesn't like things that hurt her trees. She's had fruit trees for, for decades and some f these webworms were attacking the trees and they'd show up, they leave this like nasty web full of worms and they hatch and eat the leaves and kill her tree. And she was not very thrilled with this. So she decided to open war on these bugs, on these worms. And in, in this war, she's like, okay, you're going to die. You're going to burn so that nothing survives and nothing spreads and my trees will be safe. So she cuts down all the branches that have this, makes a big old pile, and then she thinks, how do you make sure that every last one of them burns? Gas. And so she goes and gets the gas. She's got them in a pile and she pours on. She makes sure to pour some, you know, right on the webs, you know, where the worms are all at and, and it gets them good. And then she goes to light it and realizes she forgot the matches. She takes the gas far away because lighting a fire with gas and having the gas can close enough is really dangerous. Don't do that. So she, she moves it away. She comes back with the matches, but she forgot a very important detail. It was a very still morning. And for some of you, that makes a lot of sense why that's important. For others, you would have been in the same boat. When it's still, there's no wind blowing the fumes away. So the gas fumes from when she poured it on it just settled and spread out along the ground. Nice invisible fumes. And so she's smart and she's like, when you light a fire with gas, it might go boom. So if, if this is the, the spot where she's lighting the fire, she kind of backs up over here and she just got on running so she's wearing her little running shorts here and she lights her match and tosses it in. When that match hit, it exploded. But when it did, the explosion went out and it hit all of the fumes that actually were all the way around her. It exploded around her and then sucked in. It actually burned her worse on the back of her legs than on the front. I got home from a mission trip and she was like laying around. She had a, a blister that big on the back of one of her legs. There's this massive, massive blister. And you go, well, why is this pain there? Well, this pain is there because she made a poor choice. Her poor choice was trying to do something great, trying to do something helpful, trying to get rid of these, take care of these, but she overlooked a little detail. And that little detail ended up causing a lot of pain. Sometimes we make a poor choice that, that's straight up, it's a sin, it's, it's wrong. May 16 of 2005, I made one of those choices. Uh, I had a friend who was going to come rock climbing with me, and then she called me up. She's like, oh, I can't make it. Something came up. I'm like, oh, stink. Ah, I'll go anyways. I, I've got a pass at the gym, so I'm not going to pay, so I'm just going to go climb. And they have a rule at this gym that if you're not roped in, if you don't have someone belaying you, 
you can only climb eight feet high. Now you can climb all the way around the wall, but you can't climb up the wall beyond eight feet. That's actually a smart rule. Um, well, I got there, and the Bible does tell you to obey the governing ruling authorities, and they would be the governing authorities in that setting. But, you know, I got climbing, and after a while, I was like, you know, there's that route that I was climbing last week that goes all the way up over this thing and up. It's really cool. I'm like, I really want to climb it. But my friend's not here to blame me. And I thought, I like, you know, they've got these crash pads. It's like a, mat- like a full-size mattress full of fluffy stuff that catches you. And so I piled one there. I'm like, mm, that's, you know, that's pretty tall. tall. That's 25, 30 feet up. You know, I, I, I'm going to go get another one. So I got two of these mats and I put them up. So it's like this thick. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm like, good, I can crash, whatever. And so I get up on this thing and I, I climb a cave up like this and then up and up the wall and I get up to the second hold from the top and it's got this rock that's like a long triangle. So there's not a spot to grab the top. It's just like this pinch hold on this and it's, it's a doozy. And I get it, and it's the second hole from the top. I'm like, I got this. My hands are starting to get tired, but I got this. And I, and I reach up, and my hand slipped. So I fell. And like, whatever, I got crash pads. And I like, I'm like in the air. You kind of like turn as you're falling. And I look, and the crash pads go from here that way. The route had kind of arced uh, over. And when I hit, this foot hit the mats, this foot hit the floor, and then there was a sound and an immense amount of pain in my right ankle, or just all down here. Uh, May 25 of 2005, can you put up that first picture? That's the inside of my foot. Uh, The doctor said that it was, I think, 16 screws and two metal plates, but put up the next picture. I think when I looked at the x-ray and counted, I think it's three plates and 19 screws that are holding my foot together. This pain was very much real. This pain was my fault. This pain was the result of my choice that was sinful in disregarding the rule that was there to protect me. Now, I, I stop at this because a lot of times in situations like this, we stop and go, God, you're punishing me for disobeying. God, why, you know, like, this is, this is the consequences, this is the discipline for my sin. Okay, no. God was trying to protect me, and I ignored him. And so I encountered what he was trying to protect me from. If I tell my four-year-old, don't touch the pan, it's hot, and he sneaks up behind me and touches the pan, that is not the wrath of dad. That is the love of dad that you avoided, and the encounter that you encountered because you avoided it. A lot of times, God gets the blame, and we blame God because we encountered what God was trying to protect us from. So number one, we have that we encounter pain, we experience pain and hurt because of our poor choices. Whether that's straight-up stupidity, which sometimes happens, or overlooking something, or, or something that's sinful, but that's not the only way that we encounter pain. And this, this is probably not going to be too shocking, but oftentimes we encounter pain, number two, because of other people's choices. See, sometimes we're not the one who does something stupid. Somebody else does it for us. But there's this problem in life that, that the one who makes the choice isn't the only one who experiences the repercussions of that choice. In fact, my brother got me arrested. Um, <laughs> So when I was, I think, probably a freshman in high school, the high school 
had a trip that I wanted to go on. I talked to my parents. They said, sure, you can go on the trip. But the week leading up to that trip, we went on vacation. And we were going to be in Cadillac, and they said, but I got to go on this trip. We leave on Friday, and you aren't coming home until Saturday. And they're like, no worries. We'll just have your brother drive from Grand Rapids up to Cadillac, pick you up, and drive you down. And as the freshman in high school, you just say, okay. Um, It's my, my role. Well, my brother, he was not exactly thrilled with this assignment of driving an hour and 45 minutes to pick up his little brother and then an hour and 45 minutes back. And so I'm like, all right. He comes, picks me up. I go, I get in the car. And when I get in the car, you you buckle up. And then I discovered that he's a bit agitated. Nothing I can do. Well, he decided to make this more bearable by making it shorter. The only way to make the drive shorter is to go faster because you can't actually shorten the distance. So we are flying. All of the cars, the trees, we're on the highway and all the other cars are going like this. We are well over 100 miles an hour. And we are zipping along and there's spots where there's like two cars passing each other already and there's like an on-ramp and so he just like hit the on like went around them in the on-ramp and merged back over in front of them. And as the freshman little brother, you're just going, <laughs> like that's all you can do and stay buckled. And so I am doing my part of staying buckled. Well, there's people seeing this lunatic driving at insane speeds down the highway and they called the police. Um, and I don't know how many of them called the police, but I think it was several of them and the police decided to do something about this crazy erratic high-speed driving and they sent out an unmarked cop car um, to make sure that they were on the road and that they had enough of a, a moving start that they wouldn't get outrun by whoever was driving excessively fast. So we're zipping along at whatever excessive speed we're going, and we pass this car, and all of a sudden this car lights up like a Christmas tree. Um, and my brother decides to clear the path for this car with the, all the flashing lights and take the nearest exit. Um, took the exit, took the, the, the right-hand turn after the exit, and then maybe one or two more turns, and make sure that the cop didn't just happen to be going the same direction as us. Well, the cop made all the same turns, and my brother pulled over, uh, the cop was not very thrilled with his choices. He said that's called fleeing and eluding an officer. Um, it's not good. And well, when the cop gets out of his car, he has his gun drawn and says to my brother to step out of the vehicle with his hands in the air. Which is kind of, you know, makes sense after his stupidity with the excessive driving and fleeing and eluding. And, and so he comes over, frisks my brother, handcuffs my brother, and throws my brother in the back of the police car. And I'm like, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. I'm sitting here twiddling my thumbs with my seatbelt still on. And the policeman comes over and tells me that I am under arrest. And I'm like, what am I under arrest for? I am sitting. My seatbelt is still on. Like, I didn't say that to him, but I'm like, like, what did I do? But apparently, the driver's poor choice reflects on all those inside the vehicle. And so I'm getting arrested because of his driving. And I had to go down to the police station and get questioned and different things. And eventually my, my parents had to drive from wherever they were and all the way down to that police station to pick us up. And they weren't very happy. Um, but, but this is my point. The stupidity was on his end. The repercussions were on my end as well as his end. Like mine were much shorter. He ended up with all the fines and different things that came with it. But... Um, the point is that when you make a choice, it's not necessarily the one who makes a choice who has the effect. 
when he was driving, everybody on the road was able to be in danger, was endangered by his choice. Sure, maybe you could say, I had a choice to get in the vehicle, but you don't always make even that much of a choice. See, as I, as I confess my brother's stupidity, I should probably confess some of my own. Um, when I was young, I had some cousins who came and lived with us for a little while when they moved into town, and one of the, uh, my cousin's husband was a legitimate cowboy. He just moved in off a ranch, and he had this bag about this big full of lariats, of different ropes. And as a little kid, I'm like, what, what do you got here? And he's like, oh, these are my ropes for roping. And I'm like, show me. And so he starts roping things, and I'm like, this is awesome. And he teaches me, and we, we build this little wood thing in the yard for me to rope, and I'm, I'm practicing, and I even got where I could do some tricks with it. And I'm like, this is pretty cool. And I got good at lassoing the thing that didn't move. So do you know what a little boy does who lassoes things that don't move? He looks for something that moves. <laughs> My sister's only poor choice was walking outside. Maybe you could say she was not paying enough attention to her surroundings, but if we're being honest here, all of the fault lies with me. Um, as I saw her come out, and all of a sudden this idea came over me as she was facing the other direction. And so you take the lariat and you flip it this way twice and it makes it twice, it makes it much larger because you only got one shot at this. And so <laughs> you come up and you're swinging it and apparently she didn't hear the, the hum or she just figured I was still lassoing the, the wooden thing. And so I go, and I shoot it out there when it goes over, it was a good shot, but I have this massive loop and it hardly counts for hitting her with this loop that's like six feet across. So as soon as it hits her, I, I'm not a complete idiot, only halfway. So I knew I didn't want to like choke her with the rope, but you wanted to actually like catch her to have succeeded. So when it goes over and it hits, I gave the rope a little tug, not enough to like choke her, but the rope went from being a six foot loop to being like a 12 inch loop. Her neck's not 12 inches, so it's not like I'm suffocating her. But the detail that I did not pay attention to, that I had neglected or had missed my head, was that when rope slides across the skin, it leaves a burn. So I left a rope burn like a quarter of her neck. Um, <coughs> she was both in pain and very much not happy with me. Um, but, but it wasn't her fault. And my point is that, that the choice, the wrong choice was mine, but the effect affected her. <coughs> Could you give me a water? Thanks. It helps when you're preaching to be able to talk. Um, the water distracted me. Okay, so it's not, our choices don't just affect us. My son came to me a while ago. Actually, he came to my wife first and then it came to me. But he was really upset because uh, there were some kids who weren't treating him well. They, they weren't listening when he would say stop and they would kind of push him, pick on him, scratch him, and all these different things and he was, he was very upset about it. And so we're, we're trying to navigate how to handle this and how to talk to a teacher and different things in these different settings and how to talk to a, an adult and if they won't listen, how to respond and a little bit of time goes by, and we have some other friends that are at our house, and they're all playing with all their kids, and uh, it's a lot of chaos. I've got four kids, and you have another family over with three or four kids, and chaos happens really fast. And then one of the kids comes up, and he's like, hey, your son is chasing us, and he won't listen when we say stop, and what he's doing is hurting us. And so I, I haul him aside. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Oh, we're playing, da-da-da. I said, okay. 
Do you remember those people who, who chased you, hurt you, scratched you, and you know, listen? He's like, yeah. He's like, they were so mean. Go, yeah. You're doing that. He's like, what? Well, no, but. I'm like, no, no, no. You're doing that. Are you a villain? Well, no, 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 no. I'm not a villain. And I didn't mean to. And it's okay. And there was, there was a couple of really important lessons. As he learned that just because he was doing it, he wasn't trying to be a villain. So maybe they weren't either. And he needed to show some love and some grace for some of those people whose poor choices had hurt him. And then he learned that he needs to think about what he's doing because his choices can hurt others. And it was one of those lessons that I'm like, I'm having this moment with my son that's over something really silly. And then I'm like, you know, there's some lessons for me. As we look at this, I'm switching mics. All right. Woo. Hello. Can you hear me now? All right. I can hear me, so I'm assuming that you can hear me. So um, sometimes it's pretty easy to connect these dots. They're pretty short. You're like, either I was stupid or what you did was really mean or really stupid. And so it's easy to connect it. I mean, if someone hits you with a car, you're like, I'm in pain and it's your fault. You hit me. Like, these, these are short dots. But sometimes it's hard to connect the dots. Sometimes they're really far apart and you don't see it. I've had people look at me and they're like, yeah, yeah, so, so pain can come because I did something that wasn't smart or I made a poor choice or because you made a poor choice. But what about hurricanes? What about tornadoes? What about earthquakes? What about cancer? What about, and they go through all of these different things, situations, and all these different scenarios with pain and they go, I don't see the dots. I don't see where this connects. Where does this come from? But remember, when someone is driving a car, everybody in the car is affected by the choice of the driver. In fact, not only is everyone in the car, but everyone on the road can be affected by the choice of the driver. Everybody near can be affected by the choice of the driver. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let us um, let have, that he may have dominion over the earth. And it goes on. So when, when God made Adam, man number one, he gave him the keys to the world and said, here it is, take care of it, enjoy it. Instructions for driving, don't eat the one tree in the middle of the garden. One rule. Okay, we're not going to just bash Adam for blowing this, but here's the point. When Adam sinned, he crashed the car that you're sitting on. Okay, you're on planet earth, he crashed the car with the earth. Romans chapter 5 Verse 12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. He sinned once for all, letting in sin. Sin brings sickness. Sin, sin brings death. In fact, Romans chapter 8 tells us that creation waits eagerly, longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. When Adam sinned, that word frailty there, it goes through, it's, it's um, in the Greek, it's perverseness, depravity, frailty. Um, it, it means that when he did this, he messed up the entire planet. The entire planet is being affected by sin. It is being affected, causing death, causing pain, causing destruction. And, and these things affect us. 
Even if we don't see him directly, the choice that he made still affects us. And as we look, we go, okay, so we have his sin, we have, you know, my sin, we have somebody else's choice that, that may be affecting me. But we also, the Bible says that we have, number three, we have an enemy. There's an enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what Satan does. The Bible says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. Look at this contrast. One comes to kill, steal, and destroy. One comes to bring life and life more abundantly. 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxiety, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And then it says that... Um, to be watchful, your adversary, the devil, goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He goes, look, kill, still, and destroy, seeking whom he may devour. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you and he comes to bring life and life more abundantly. And this is where the rubber starts to meet the road, where, where we look and we go, okay, God wants to bring life, but we have an enemy who comes to bring destruction. Pastor mentioned it last week that just because you're experiencing pain doesn't mean that you're outside of the will of God. In fact, Matthew chapter 13 tells us um, that when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately these people will fall away. And he says that sometimes persecution, sometimes trouble comes for the word's sake. But what, what's important for you to know is that, that this pain isn't from God that God's will is good. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of heavenly lights, in whom there is no shadow or variation of turning. That God doesn't flip-flop. He doesn't go, I'm gonna give you good things today and I'm gonna curse you tomorrow. God wants good things for you. And it's so important, but God often gets a bad rap for things that God had nothing to do with. I remember back before I was even dating my wife, we were in her apartment along with, I don't know, maybe a dozen people. And somebody else came barging into the apartment and they run in and they're like, you guys have got to pray. I'm like, well, what's going on? He's like, my cousin is in a coma and lists out what's going on. And so we're going to pray. And one of the girls leads out and she starts praying. She's like, God, if it's your will that he be healed, would you heal him? And God, what are you trying to teach us with this coma in my heart? just like sank. Like, God didn't put this kid in a coma. That's not a good and perfect gift. God doesn't send comas. Is that kill, steal, or destroy? Or is that life and life more abundantly? Is that casting your cares on him because he cares for you? Or is that death and destruction that comes when a lion gets in? And I begin to look and I'm like, look at this. All the time, God gets this bad rap because sin brings pain and destruction because death has entered the world and it's not something that God's doing. God goes, I love you and I want good things for you and we're experiencing this pain and oftentimes we blame him. And it leaves us unwilling to go to the one who's trying to bring the solution. Cancer is not from God. Cancer is here to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the enemy. We're supposed to resist it. We're supposed to submit to God and resist the enemy and therefore he'll flee from us. And we have to recognize where it comes from so that we can turn to the answer. And as, as we do, we, it's so important for you to understand that God hurts for you. That when we're going through pain, when we're going through sickness, when we're going through disaster, that God's heart is moved. See, Jesus said that he came to heal the brokenhearted. He, 
He came, and throughout the Gospels, you'll see repetitively, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion, that he saw them, that he saw them like sheep without a shepherd, that he saw their pain, that he saw their need, and it moved his heart, that when he sees those that are, that are in pain, that his heart breaks for them. We need to know that, that God is looking on those that are hurting in love, that God's looking at us with love, and that God feels our pain. There's a story that the Gospels tell of a man named Lazarus who dies. Jesus gets word that he's sick and Jesus goes to come and he's already died. And on his way, Jesus tells his disciples that he already died and that Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. But when he gets there, he sees Mary and Martha, uh, Lazarus' sisters, and he sees the people in pain. And the Bible says that Jesus wept. And this is so huge because He's not crying because Lazarus is dead. He knows, he already told his disciples that Lazarus is going to be alive in just a matter of minutes. So there's no reason to cry for the dead man. But it doesn't even say he shed a tear. It says that he wept. Why did he weep? Because Jesus saw those that were hurting and broken. When he saw those that were hurting and broken, it broke his heart. Because Jesus, the Bible says that God is love. And his loving response he felt their pain and he responded. And this is right, he responded in power and, he re, and Lazarus was raised from the dead. And we need to understand that God wants to move in love. See, when God sees someone that's hurting and broken, God wants to, to love them. God wants to reach them. And do you know what he does? Do you know how he does that? He sends somebody. Will you be that somebody? Because our world is full of pain. Our world is full of, of people that are broken and hurting and we are supposed to be God's hands and feet. The Bible says that he made us his ambassadors. It's when Jesus said that the kingdom is near you, when the kingdom is in you, what this means, the kingdom is the place where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, where the king's rule is what happens. And people are supposed to encounter you like a window. When they look at you, they should look right inside of you and see the love of Jesus. They should encounter God's love, God's power through you when, when, when they see you. When they're broken, they should feel God's love through you. When they're hungry, they should encounter some food from God via you. See, you are God's hands and feet on this planet. And when we reach out to people, we can show them God's love. We can be his hands and feet and show them love. And it, it, it can be complicated things, but it can be simple things. Sometimes somebody just needs someone who will sit with them and cry with them or hand them the box of Kleenexes and be there for them. I've sat with people that lost their child. I've been there for people in the middle of divorce. I've been there for people in the middle of pain and agony and when they, they're there they need someone to love them I've been in the hallway when a mom comes in with a whole bunch of little ones and, and people look at her and they're like wow you got your hands full she's like yeah you want to help like be there and help them instead of just commenting on how much of a mess they look like they're in I've watched as they're trying to like hold a baby, keep one down and one of them goes zinging down the hallway and they're sitting here and they're like trying to catch this one and wobble and, and you just walk up and you got this little guy running and you stop and you go your mama just called you. And he's like, <gasps> stranger. <laughs> and she's like, thank you as you send them back. I've actually had to stop them for them. They're like, catch that one. And you're like, all right, you got them. Um, do you realize you can help this single mama as she's struggling? Do you realize that you can be there for somebody when they're in the middle of pain? And it might be that your cashier has a headache or you see them limping and you can go, hey, can I be the hands of Jesus and can I pray for you? Can I show you some love? Can I treat my waiter in a way that represents the love of Jesus? Can I be there for somebody who's hurting and sick? Can I be there? Can I be his hands and feet? Because he wants to love them. He wants to be there for them. And you are the vessel that he wants to use. 
There is so much that God wants to do. There's so many people that are hurting and broken. He wants to show them his love. See, Matthew 25 records Jesus, and he, and he, says, he says, in the end, this is what it's gonna be like. He says, God's gonna come, and he's gonna separate the righteous from the unrighteous, like sheep from goats, and he's gonna turn to those on his right. He's gonna say, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was cold, and you clothed me. And, and, and he's gonna go through, I was in jail, and you visited me. And he goes through this list, and they look back at him, and they go, God, when were you, when was God, the creator of the universe, cold? When were you naked? When were you in prison? Who's gonna imprison the almighty, internal God? And he looks at him and he goes, what you did to the least of these, you did to me. And then he turns to the others and, they, and he goes, I was hungry and you gave me nothing. I was cold and you didn't share your coat. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. And he goes through and he lists all this and they go, God, when was the almighty, when was the powerful God in this place? And what they didn't understand, because they were looking for somebody who was amazing. They were looking for somebody who was important to do something for. And he goes, no, 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 no. See, what you did for my child, you did for me. See, because if you do something mean to me, oh, whatever. But you do something mean to my kid, I got a problem. See, what you do to my kid means more to me than what you do to me. And Jesus looks and he goes, what you did to the least of these, you did to me. He goes, how are you treating them? Because that's how you're treating me. That's what I see. And he goes, my children are hurting and broken. Will you show them some love? Will you be there for them? Will you be his hands and feet and his response to their pain? Because God didn't send their pain, but God wants to be there for them in their pain. God wants to be the one who they can cast their cares on. He wants to use us to be there and to show his love in these spots. And he wants to be there for us in the middle of our pain. And if you're here and you're in pain, I am so sorry. We want to be there for you. If, if you've experienced the different hurt and the agony, but for those of you who are, who are believers, I want to challenge you that you are God's hands and you are God's feet and he wants to use you to show his love to the people around you, to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your boss, to that really annoying customer, that person who yelled, whoever they may be, you are his hands and you are his feet and you get to show their love. And if you're here and you've never encountered, maybe you never made Jesus your Lord because you never encountered that love in his people, I'm sorry but God loves you and he loves you so much that he was willing to give up everything, to lay down his life, to rescue you from sin, to set you free, to forgive you so that you could know that you're right with God and on your way to heaven. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.